0: We continue with the same topic, but we're going to a subtopic, which is really the primary topic, in a sense. we um, be talking about the two creations. I have been beginning each lesson with, uh, what was it, John 6.23, but we're going to do a different verse today. This is uh, uh, Romans 6.23, what I was using, but this is John 3, verses 6 and 7. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Uh, the remainder of our lessons on the topic of eternal life, uh, will we'll still be dealing with the fact that eternal life is eternal, but... Um, the remainder of the lessons will have to do with the two, two creations. Um, some of the things that underlie the teaching of eternal life, uh, the real foundation and the reason that it is eternal, um, the full scope of, of what it means to us to have eternal life, it can't really be clear uh, without having some familiarity with what the Bible teaches about the two creations. Uh, downstairs somewhere, I suppose it's still around, there's a, there's a children's lesson, a flannel graph lesson on the two creations. And I think Joel mentioned it recently when he spoke. They had uh, the two characters, Ipsy and Newman. And uh, anyway, this was a children's lesson that was produced probably back in the 40s by a denominational group. Uh, There was a time when there was a lot more Bible study. There was a time when there was a lot more awareness of these things. But things have been watered down. I will say about the two creations, uh, there are some things, frankly, it took me a while to really lay hold of. One of the things that you learn as a child of God with a genuine interest in the word. Now, again, too often there's not enough interest in really knowing what the Bible teaches. But if you have an interest in the word, one of the things that you develop is a realization that I need to believe it whether I understand it or not. Once you accept what God has for you, then you can begin to understand it. And if you can't fully understand it, you come to a place that you accept it. It becomes comfortable to you. How many of you understand, how many of you can wrap your mind around eternity? There's not a person here. You may think you can, but eternal is, its yeah, it just doesn't fit in our brains. So there are things that we just become comfortable with. You know, the Bible says... Uh, uh, faith is the evidence of things not seen. And in a sense, faith, once you accept it, that evidence flows into your life. You begin to understand. And so I can remember, and I'll get to some of those things later, not today, but some of the things that we, we learn when we see the, the fact of, of the two creations, they don't make sense to us. And so it takes us a while to change our thinking. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by changing the way we think. Uh, we'll be looking at various Bible-based terminologies. Uh, we'll be looking at things like the old and the new creation, the old man and the new man, the flesh and the spirit. All of these are talking about really the same thing. They all speak of the two creations. Um I'm going to say about these lessons on the two creations, I expect to give two more lessons after today. Have you ever heard a preacher say, in closing, and then go on for 20 more minutes? Or, if you've been listening to Brother Greg or to me for very long, I may finish early this time. Right. So, I think it's going to be two more lessons, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, First of all, I'll explain that background picture. Uh, In May, we took a trip, took Teddy along with us. He was the focus of the trip. We planned the trip around him. And we went to the Great Sand Dunes National Park in southern Colorado. And that's what those sand dunes are down at the bottom. Uh, It's sort of a deserty area, a little tiny microcosm of, of desert life. Not much grows there. It's pretty... Pretty sterile, pretty lifeless, and just a few miles down the road <clears throat> I took the picture at the top it's quite a contrast, isn't it? one very nearly lifeless, the other verdant green somebody lives there uh, and that's kind of a kind of a, an illustration of the two natures side by side almost you might say just like that that uh, kind of Uh, landscape, but very, very different, and you don't confuse the two. Um, This part of our series on eternal life will be much briefer than the earlier portions. I'm I'm, I'm treating this as a subtopic of the main topic, so I'm not going to go into it as deeply. I'll say also that because people don't even really look at the Bible as much as they should these days in all too many churches and I don't say that with a feeling of superiority it's just reality Um, they're not aware enough of this truth to decide they don't believe it and build a case against it so I don't have to refute anybody's case that makes it a lot simpler to teach as an introduction in this lesson we're going to look at five or six primary scriptures we'll have secondary scriptures as well, um, five or six, depending on how long I go, you know, if I have to cut off before I get to the sixth one, that's okay. I just want anyone who is here who might not be really familiar with the Bible teaching of the two natures, the two creations, the old man, the new man, I want there to be some awareness, um, just kind of a glimpse of what the Bible says and what it's about. The first passage uh, I read as an opening to the lesson, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, <clears throat> that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said unto you, uh, you must be born again. I imagine that everybody or almost everybody here would be very familiar with John chapter three when Nicodemus went to see Jesus by night and uh, <clears throat> A central part of that conversation was when Jesus told him about being born again. And when, when we focus on those words, um, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, we can see that Jesus was making a radical distinction between what we are when we're born in the natural and when we're born again through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, which of these came first, spirit or flesh? Well, the flesh, of course. Uh, Which of these came first for you? Were you born in the natural? Were you born again before you were born the first time? Of course not. So there's two natures. There's two different uh, characteristics to what we are. Later this month, I'm already three-quarters of a century old, but I'm adding another year later this month. I'll be 76. On the day that I was born at Trinity Lutheran Hospital, now gone, downtown. After four Franklins were born there, I think they just closed it down. We can't do any better than that. What's the point? Anyway, I was born of the flesh. I was born of a flesh-and-blood mother and a flesh-and-blood father. I had a body of human flesh. And about five years, probably a little over five years later, in a little town in Oklahoma, Bristow, Oklahoma, in a Sunday school room down in the basement, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I was born again. Now, by the way, I was talking about how after you exercise faith, you begin to understand. How much do you think I understood of the full plan of salvation when I accepted Christ? What do you think I knew about redemption, substitutionary sacrifice, uh, sanctification, all of those things connected with salvation? I knew nothing, but I exercised faith, and then the door was open for understanding. But on that day, I received a life that I did not possess before. We call it the new birth. It's, uh, it's not that that life didn't exist. You know, people will say, oh, a brand new life born into the world. Well, yes, but not really because it's a life that began with Grandfather Adam and Grandmother Eve and it's just been passed down. But it's new to the child and the child is new to the world. So that life that I received from the hand of God when I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, it was new to me. It was the same life received by all who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All who become God's children are born again. Some denominations treat this as just something that fundamentalists believe. And, you know, we don't really believe. I had a fellow tell me one time, well, uh, our church doesn't believe in being born again. I showed him the Bible. And I said, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe God's word? Well, yes. I said, then the Bible says you've been born again whether you believe it or not. Well, it's, uh, it's an important thing. We receive a brand new life at that point. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is something radically different. It's spirit. Another verse or another passage, 2 Corinthians five sixteen and 17. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. You know, you talk to somebody about Jesus. You tell them about his life. You tell them what he did. Uh, They can begin to understand certain outlines of what took place and what the supposed, in their mind, purpose was of his crucifixion. And then we hope they accept the Lord Jesus Christ. We begin by knowing him after the flesh, according to the flesh. But Paul says, yet now know we, we know him thus no longer. Now we understand him on a spiritual level. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the Bible talks about the body of Christ. When we're born again, we're baptized into the body of Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things. Now, it doesn't say the old creation, but it's implied all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old creation isn't mentioned specifically there, and you don't really see it mentioned elsewhere, but it, it's, it's there. It's presented in the book of Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth. And then a little bit after that, he made Adam and Eve. And of course, the old creation still exists today. You walk outside, or you don't even have to walk outside, look around you. This is a part of the old natural creation that God set forth way back when. Uh, it also exists in us as descendants of Adam and Eve. We bear that old creation, that old nature, that flesh nature. And I'm not turning to any of these passages, but in, in uh, Romans chapter 6, uh, Romans uh, that's not right I think that's Isaiah 66 22 because Romans doesn't have 66 chapters does it anyway uh, also in Second Peter three thirteen in Revelation 21 1 we read about the new heavens and the new earth that God will eventually bring forth now what is that well here's this old creation it's been around for a while I mean You think I'm old? Look at creation. Creation is old. Been around. But there will be a new creation, a new heavens, a new earth. This is all going to pass away. But God has already brought forth the new man. Uh, The new creation, as it applies directly to every individual who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, who receives that infusion of his life through the new birth, that new creation already applies to us. Um, Now, it says that old things have passed away. People may think we're stupid, and we may be along some lines. I certainly am. Family members could testify of that, but uh, we're not stupid enough that we don't realize these physical bodies that we received from Grandfather Adam and Grandmother Eve, they have not passed away. This is the flesh, flesh nature. Because as the bodies haven't passed away, neither has that corrupt flesh nature passed away. That nature that is so prone to sin, this old man that we were born with, Uh, Rather, uh, as with the taking away of our sins, God has said that he doesn't remember our sins anymore. Isn't that marvelous? That's a decision that he made. It was a part of his plan, part of his purpose. Just so, God no longer reckons with our old creation. He no longer ties our destiny to that old us is now completely tied to the new us. And Jesus made it clear, these are two separate things. You know the old saying, you can't mix oil and water? Don't, don't in your mind, in your thinking, in your faith, in your hopes, don't get the old nature and what it does mingled with the new creation, the life that God has given to you. God doesn't tie your future to anything about this old you. It is rejected by him. It's corrupted. In Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, Paul wrote of his uh, experience, I believe this was fairly early in his career as a Christian, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Brother Greg mentioned, and I mentioned more than once, that book, I'm Okay, You're Okay?, No, the Bible says, I'm no good, you're no good, all right? In me, well, you know, I don't know, I'm fairly smart, I sing pretty good, and, you know, when I make a promise, I keep my promise, and yada, 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 you know, no. In me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, I, I want to do what I should do. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. Have you ever experienced that? You just, you were in the way. You wanted this, but you were in the way. For the good that I will, or I purpose to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not, that I purpose not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So God reckons our old self, our old nature, old things to be dead. The old is not a part of his equation when he's dealing with you and the spiritual and the eternal. He's marked it out. It is crucified with Christ does that mean the old is gone because people have suggested that that there is a way that you can put off the old man root and branch I'm not going to get into that certainly not today but just because something is dead doesn't mean it's gone have you ever discovered the presence of a dead thing in your house or in your yard by its odor I'll tell you what, if a mouse dies in your house and you don't know where it is, you're going to know that there's a dead mouse in your house. Uh, Years ago, I I shouldn't draw things out, I'm going to talk too long. Anyway, years ago, apparently we caught a mother mouse. And uh, apparently Mama Mouse had some babies. And apparently without Mama Mouse, you know what happened to the babies. We began to smell something. And I'll I'll tell you, if you don't find it, it's going to hang around for a year or two. You're going to smell it from time to time. Uh, Probably a year or two later, we, we replaced the kitchen floor, and when we pulled up that floor, there was a void under that floor, and there were the skeletons of a nest of baby mice. And then we knew where the smell was coming from. You say, oh, poor little baby mice. Well, I'm sorry about that part. But what I'm saying is just because something is dead doesn't mean it's gone, and also doesn't mean that it cannot impact its surroundings in one way or another. Dead things can breed disease, can't they? Well, I'll I'll move on beyond that. In recounting what I believe are his personal and early struggles, Paul speaks of the two eyes. Now, if I do, I've put them in different colors, (laughs) Now, if I, the old nature, do what I, the new nature, wills not to do, it is no longer I, the new nature, who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, we're getting into an area that's difficult to understand without spending time studying the two creations. But he makes this tremendous distinction between the old man and the new man, the flesh and the spirit, the two natures coexisting with or in those who have been born again. And by the way, I'll say this understanding can be the beginning of grasping how you're going to have victory over the practice of sin in your life, how to address sin when it arises. Uh, It's also part of what we look to that gives us absolute assurance of eternal life despite failures on our part. No longer I that do it. Now, if this, is, if this is like, I don't know about that, just keep it, look at the scripture, see what it says. But it's no longer I that do it. That's Bible. That's scripture. That's not my idea that I'm pulling out of the air. This is God's word. It's no longer I that do it. But sin that dwells with me. Now, you know, because you've heard me teach... You know that I'm not saying here, well, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. That you will not be held accountable if you yield to the flesh and walk in the flesh instead of walking in the spirit and doing the will of God. Because you will be held accountable. God chastens when it's necessary. And we've seen that as we've looked at eternal life in this, uh, in this series. But having said all that, the reality of the two creations is really what underlies all of the promises of God that guarantee us eternal life if we have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Another passage, Galatians 3, three: Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, that's the new creation, are you now being made perfect by the flesh, the actions, the purposes of the old creation, the new nature or the old nature? If you decided to try to save yourself, it didn't matter what you did in the natural. You could have tried really hard to keep the law or any other set of standards. You would have failed. And he's basically saying, okay, now that's a total failure. That's been demonstrated to be a failure. That's why the law was given to show that the flesh cannot succeed. Now you made a beginning, brand new beginning, new birth. You began in the spirit. When you were born again, that was your beginning. Now, are you going to go back to the failure and be made perfect by trying to do what the flesh can do? Um, I'm going to say a few words about the capitalization of the word spirit there. Um, Capitalization of nouns and pronouns referring to God are a matter of what is called style. Way back, over a hundred years ago, <clears throat> the Associated Press wrote a style book for its reporters. And it dealt with grammar, it dealt with punctuation, it dealt with capitalization, it dealt with usage, dealt with a lot of different things. Style is just how you do certain things when you're dealing with language. Um, the names and Titles of God are not capitalized in Hebrew for the very simple reason that there are no capital letters in Hebrew. Okay? In ancient Greek, it was not the style, it was not done to capitalize the name of God or the pronouns that refer to God. It just wasn't a part of the language style that they used. And so when we see the word spirit capitalized in the Bible... Don't look at that and say, well, that's Bible, that's scripture. What that capitalization is, that capital letter is the opinion of the translator as to what the application of that word is in this case. Spirit can refer to that life in you. Definitely not the Holy Spirit. Certainly the life of Christ, the spirit of Christ in you. But be aware of that when you read the Bible. I have seen people get deceived well I'm getting ahead of myself but in in Galatians chapter 5 it talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit and I have had people explain to me now the Bible makes it pretty clear completely clear to me that the evidence of having been filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues they point to that passage where the word spirit is capitalized so it has to refer to the Holy Spirit right the works of the flesh And the fruit of the spirit, they say, the fruit of the spirit is sufficient evidence to say that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the spirit arises from the new man. Does the Holy Spirit have a part in bringing that forth? Oh, absolutely. You know that. But it's a lower case. Uh, It is is, the contrast in that passage is the old nature, the works of the flesh. And then when you're born again, it's not all about your works. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Nevertheless, it's about the fruit that we bring forth. That's really what the issue is. doesn't matter what your works are. If you haven't brought forth love and patience and faith, things will go awry. So be be careful about just automatically accepting capital S spirit as speaking of the Holy Spirit. Look at the context, 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 context. I've emphasized that a lot, haven't I? But in Galatians 3, we have a presentation of things having to do with our flesh nature as opposed to our The spirit life in us. And again, I've already said we began with that uh, new birth, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And uh, so our beginning is the spirit by the new birth, the receiving of a new nature, of new life. Now, I am called on to do certain things through this body of flesh. If I wasn't using this body of flesh, I could sit over there and I could think good thoughts and I could think about everything I'm saying up here, it would do nobody any good, right? But if I stand up here and say things, well, let me back up. Have you ever heard a preacher say all the right things, but you sensed something is wrong there? He's parroting words. Somebody told me about a young man, and he had heard a sermon on Sunday morning, and he went to such and such place on Sunday night and preached it word for word. And uh, the person said, that formed my opinion of him. The man wasn't right. He's still around. He's not right today either. But uh, the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that matters. That's what counts. He doesn't reckon with our flesh anymore concerning our destiny. Uh, struggling to subdue the corrupt nature. Struggling to deal with the sins of the flesh by willpower or by a system of rules. I have known of people that abandoned the teachings of grace, went someplace where the law of Moses was taught as something we must do today because they felt like we needed rules. It doesn't work. It's a yoke of bondage. We've been hearing about that on Wednesday nights. And so Galatians 5.25 says, if we live in the spirit, and let's walk in the spirit. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I will say, let's don't capitalize those. Let's drop that capital letter out. Where is your life? It's in the Spirit. Uh, If you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, that new life. Uh, Walk in the Spirit. Walk according to the new creation. Let that new life be manifested and uh, the... uh, The works of the flesh won't be manifested. Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 24. I don't think I'm going to get to passage number 6, but I kind of expected that. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. But you have not so learned Christ. He had given a list of sins. You have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now here again, we see the old man and the new man, the life and nature we received from grandfather Adam, as opposed to the life, the eternal life that we received when we accepted Christ. Now, some of you are about to remember a famous trial because I have a glove up here. I won't go into that. Uh, I'm not going to comment on it. Now, I have two gloves. Neither one of us changes who I am. What's inside of this glove is is what it was. But I have two different gloves, and I put them on according to what I plan to do. If I plan to go out... I, I. I got rid of a bunch of old gloves, or at least my wife did for me, and I appreciated it. I hang on to things. I don't know why. Anyway, if I need to do something grungy and dirty and work hard or something, you know, then I wear a glove like this. But if I'm going to be, I I don't even wear these things very much, but, you know, there's some circumstances where, you know, if if the steering wheel is cold and I can't deal with the cold steering wheel, then I put on this nice glove, Again, it doesn't change a bit regarding who I am or what's in me. I'm just showing something on the outside. Would this serve just as well? But it just, it doesn't belong in church, right? (laughs) This is more of a church glove. Well, all that the glove does, basically the difference between them, is what I'm showing outwardly. And I put on according to what I intend to do. So the instruction that is given there in Ephesians, it has nothing to do with changing what's on the inside. There needs to be some inner decisions, inner commitments. But it's, uh, it's what we're going to manifest. Don't manifest the old man. Put him off. People don't need to see that aspect of your nature. It's an ungodly thing to demonstrate that aspect of your nature. Instead... Allow God to manifest Christ outwardly in your life. Have him in you by faith, but then put him on so that your life manifests him, manifests his character. It's like that passage, let your light so shine, you know, be seen among men, Thank you, glorify God. Remember Philippians 2, 12 and 13 from one of our earlier lessons. Therefore, my beloved As you have also obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out, manifest on the outside, your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. See, the work is going on inside here, but he works in you to will. He wants to change your desires and to do. And that's where you put on the proper glove, put on Christ to do for his good pleasure. There we stop. We'll pick it up again next week.